Today, I'm joined by Rob Lee, Chief Marketing and Product Strategy Officer at the American Society of Association Executives. Thank you so much for joining us on the Association Marketing Show. It's great to have you. Oh, my pleasure. I look forward to these conversations. So this is, I'm, I'm excited. Great to see you. Same. Our, our prep conversation was super enjoyable, and I'm looking forward to, to the recording and the episode here today. So just to level set, uh, could you please tell me a little bit about your personal and professional background and how you made it into the wonderful world of associations, as I like to call it, and what your role uh, in organization is today? Sure, sure. Yeah, so I'd, I'd first start with saying I'm, I've been lucky. <laughs> I mean, I've had a, traveled a wonderful path, and I've just been really fortunate and um, have been able to get some really cool experiences. So more specifically, you know, starting the first part of my career, and I won't go through this for the next 10 minutes. I'll keep it short, of course. But, you know, um, first part of the career was really um, focused on uh, ad agencies. I, I was fortunate to start my career at the, the number one ad agency in the world at the time and then moved over to PR agencies, so it's still top five. And then also from there, I went into environmental consulting, but it was a global you know, environmental consulting firm, or actually global consulting firm. I was working in environmental component of it. And then also on the uh, for-profit side with regards to uh, some major global brands such as Marriott. Um, so I've had a lot of for-profit experience before landing in the association space at ASAE, all of which was focused on advertising, public relations, and branding. And that's exactly what I, um, when I stepped into ASE, it was uh, truly as a branding role to start, quite frankly. <clears throat> so mm. was, uh, when there was a merger between ASE and what was called the Center for Association Leadership. So exciting time. Yeah. And so how long have you been at ASE now? I know it's, uh, it's been quite a ride, but just for, for all the listeners. Yeah. So I've been here for about uh, almost 15 years now. And you know, it's funny, it's that, you know, you get to various points in your career. It's like, uh, at least for me, <clears throat> I never went someplace saying that I was going to stay a predetermined amount of time. I always stayed because I enjoyed it. And and when I did enjoy it, then it was time to leave, uh, quite frankly. And I still enjoy it at ASC. I've had a good time. And the, the job has changed. The organization has changed. Mm -hmm. um, what doesn't change is serving the members. And I love that. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, just, it's been a good fit for me. Yeah. There's so much I want to dig on with you, dig in on with both like your career as a marketer at ASAE and how your role has changed, kind of like the major chapters of your role. Sure. And also, I think that this is a unique episode for us in that everybody knows your organization and is probably affiliated with the organization in one way or another. Maybe there's members or they have participated in certain educational programs or events, virtual or in person in the past. Uh, and so that's really nice. But just in case, could you briefly describe what ASAE does, who your members are, and the main kind of services um, and resources that you provide your members? Sure. And I appreciate the intro. I think, you know, one of the things that I hear from people who are, from people that know us well and those that don't know us so well, honestly, is that if, they've, if they have any kind of name recognition of ASA, it's kind of the association for associations. So there's always a little private joke, or sometimes a public joke in this case, around mm -hmm. the fact that should be our tagline, right? Um, because that's how people know us. If they haven't heard of us, um, that's typically what they'll say. So wait a minute, you guys are the association for associations. True. You know, so what are we and what do we provide? Um, 
You know, it's really association management resources at the core um, and advocacy efforts, you know, on behalf of the association community. And, you know, typically how we talk about it, and I think the role that we play is that an opportunity to, you know, help associations do the work of society in ways that are important to them. And whatever we can do in order to facilitate that, in order to help them become more efficient, in order to, you know, connect with them with the community um, that allows them to grow and to prosper um, as it relates to their specific, you know, uh, areas of focus. That's mm -hmm. that's in essence what we do. I and mean, that's very simplistic, but that's at the core yeah. of it. It's it's a home. Yeah, that's the way it feels. It's a home for associations. And so here's a space that you can come and connect with your colleagues in a way that you can you can reveal, you know, non-competitively, you can reveal whatever happens to be on your mind and to get some honest and candid feedback through the relationships that you have. And it just continues to kind of mushroom. That's the thing that we've um, seen year in and year out. Um, and so it's, it's fun to be a part of that. Yeah. How I've thought about it a couple of times is that you are in the business of serving your members and helping them serve their members, right? It's, and uh, exactly right. So it's kind of a meta position, but it's a, it's a wonderful position too. Um, I want to get into some of like what you've seen in the industry, especially in the last year, which has been, you know, a tumultuous year for everybody, but in our case, especially for the association industry. So I'd love to learn kind of what you've seen in the industry and um, yeah, what, how you've seen the industry respond and what maybe what you've learned about your members and associations uh, more broadly in this time um, and, and how they've evolved to continue to serve their members and be successful as organizations themselves. Anything kind of come to mind as some of the themes that you've seen over the last year? You know, I think um, with regard to some of those themes, I mean, what's happened is, you know, it's hard to, you know, I think it's hard, at least it's hard for me. I suspect it's hard for all of us. I mean, it's tough to kind of separate what's happening, you know, professionally for any of us, you know, with regards to what's been happening externally in the environment on a number of different levels. And so, you know, when I think about it that way, you know, there's what I've seen and experienced is that there's been a lot of pain, quite frankly, you know, um, pain and uncertainty. You know, there have been, unfortunately, you know, like almost all industries out there, you know, people have lost jobs. Um, there has been you know, a sharp decline in revenue for a lot of organizations and particularly in the areas that they have come to rely on, which has been in many cases, the face-to-face -face meetings. That's been a tremendous challenge um, and it's tough. You know, um, and I'm just honest about it. I mean, we're it's it's we all know that we all experience it, and those are just the realities. Um, I think what I've seen as part of the response, though, is the of course this you know incredible resiliency in the association space, um, this incredible embrace of adaptability um, and thoughtfulness about not only how to you know change course but also to how to change course in a way that is truly as beneficial as it can be for as many people as we can possibly serve. Yeah. And that's, that is sincere, you know, and I've seen that, I've experienced that, I've been a part of that, I've heard it talked about, um, you know, managing with empathy, making decisions with empathy, um, you know, extending grace, you know, not only for members, certainly, and stakeholders, but also internally from a management standpoint. These are the kinds of themes that I've seen really kind of raise to the, you know, rise to the surface, if you will. They were there before. But as we all know, when confronted with, you know, challenging circumstances, there are certain things that tend to bubble up and become more important. And so all those things that I just mentioned, I've seen become a lot more important um, over time. And I think it's a wonderful thing to see. I'm 
uh, it's it's too bad that you know it took something like this to you know have us. I mean, as I, I would say, quite frankly, I mean, there's a, a racial pandemic and there's a um, <clears throat> the biological pandemic. Right. You know, both of which will be with us in various forms, you know, for a long time and have been with us in various forms for you know prior to this time. So, you know, I I've seen that in a, a community that is at times struggling to figure out new answers, but at the same time embracing the opportunity of that change too. And so it's, it's, been, it's been good in that respect. Yeah. The Association Marketing Show is sponsored by Feather, the digital marketing toolkit for events and associations. Is your organization looking to ramp up its sponsorship strategy in 2021? Our latest ebook takes a close look at all of the ways you can leverage digital sponsorships to make up for lost revenue or create new revenue streams altogether. Get your free copy of How to Generate Digital Sponsorship Revenue in 2021 and more at feather.co slash resources. That's F-E-A-T-H-R dot co slash resources. I resonate with everything that you're saying. That was one of the things that impacted me a lot. Genuinely seeing this whole, you know, pandemic unfold and all of the social issues and challenges that came about in the last year was how our customers or association professionals responded from that place of empathy and service on, on the whole, that that was the, those were like the driving, um, yeah, emotions. And like, that was the approach behind even seeking solutions to like revenue challenges for the organization. For example, it was all within this context of empathy and service for the members. Um, and, you know, upon reflection, maybe I shouldn't be surprised because our customers and associations have always been focused on, member delivering member value and and being a resource for members like that is literally what they do but even in the most trying of circumstances to see that approach still kind of like emerge as the primary one was very very heartening to me i remember talking just to customers throughout the last year and um so i hit the mic one of the things that i've that i've had repeated to me so many times is that you know we're not just yes we've canceled our annual meeting and that's been a huge hit for us as an organization for example um, or a whole series of meetings. But our thinking is not just how do we recoup that revenue as quickly as possible? Like, yes, that's one of the conversations we're having is how can we, you know, continue to generate revenue in this time? And that's taken the form of, you know, virtual events and virtual sponsorships and these kinds of things. Um, but the more kind of prominent question has been how can we continue to deliver as much member value as possible? Because our members in most cases are also hurting during this time. And that has to be priority number one. And even if that means, you know, leaving some short-term revenue on the table, but building a deeper bond with our members by serving them in this time of need, that's the thing that we're going to do. And I've heard that time and time and again from uh, people that I've spoken to. And so I'm just really resonating with what you're saying. Well, you know, but I'm going to share something specific for those that know us and members that know exactly what happened here for those that don't. Um, I'll share a little insight. And, and it, it, again, it kind of, it, it, good examples of what you just shared and what we've been talking about. So our annual meeting last year, every year it's in August. And last year, of course, it was virtual. Um, and, you know, that was the first time, you know, what we were able to do was that we made it free. Yeah. And of course, that's not a business model, you know, that anyone can sustain, you know, us included. Um, but, you know, what I'll tell you how it felt, you know, and some were challenged by it. And I understand why, because of the business model aspect, I've been challenged from the standpoint of, okay, what does that do to the sustainability moving forward? And that was challenging for some, you know, folks in the uh, stakeholders. And I understand that. And so there's no, you know, there's no debate about that. It, it was a challenge decision. Fortunately, we were in a position that we could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the response 
was amazing. You would not believe the types of notes and calls we got from people just saying simply what you said or conveying what you said, and that being thank you. Thank you because my organization has cut back. Thank you because I couldn't afford my membership. Thank you because I certainly couldn't have afforded to engage in something um, of this nature, given where my organization is financially. Thank you. That it, it, I can't tell you how good that felt to all of us um, and that we could be in a position to offer that. And as you said, meeting members in that moment of need, that's yeah. what the game is about. We'll figure out the business piece of it. Right. But if we don't, at the very beginning, meet the needs, mm. then what are we doing? And that was, that was really the goal. So. Yeah, totally. Yes. And, and, and what you've said, you know, maybe not every organization has the ability to kind of to, to do that. And, and that's completely understood. Some organizations are on more of a, you know, short-term kind of like budget where they need to, they make, they need to recoup revenue as quickly as possible. But for those who are able to, that kind of approach, that kind of approach has, has really, really resonated with these, with their members. Um, and I think even long-term, is the best business strategy and, and it shouldn't be motivated by that but that is the right. case if you build a bond with your audience then when the economy you know opens back up or industry opens back up depending on you know what industry that you're in they're gonna have that bond and they're gonna remember that and they're gonna come back to you when they're ready for more resources and ready for education ready for the services that you provide because you created that bond with them in that moment of need and that's that's so meaningful that that doesn't break easily I want to um, talk a little bit about your specific role at ASAE because I know it's changed over time, but today you are the yeah. chief marketing and product strategy officer at ASAE, mm -hmm. which yeah. is a unique role in that you lead these two super critical components of the association's function, um, marketing and product strategy. So how did that come about? How did you get into product strategy? Um, and what is the relationship between product strategy and marketing uh, at least in an ideal sense? And, and how have you improved that relationship and made that work better? And, and what can people kind of learn from that? Well, you know, I think um, what strikes me a couple, you know, a couple things pop into my mind. One being that the importance, so where this came from is that it's not, I want to be clear that it wasn't as though we weren't thinking about this collectively for some time, right? Um, but over time, you know, there are different needs that can come into the forefront. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, how do we, how do we apply a more disciplined approach? And that's how I would characterize this. You know, my background and training is certainly on the marketing side, marketing branding, but as a consequence of that, you know, I had to understand product management. And I think a lot of marketers do. Mm. And I think it's something that is a, you know, a, a tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, when you ask, you know, what's the ideal, what does this you know, mesh point look like, if you will, between marketing and product strategy? Right, exactly. um, you know, that mesh point is all about coordination. It's all about shared knowledge. And I think it's honestly also all about understanding various roles, you know, that people can play in order to, yeah, I don't know if there are any football fans out there. I am, so I can use football analogies. I see your Packers you know. back there behind you. Yeah, you see that behind me, right? All right, <laughs> Wisconsin Packers, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's where I grew up. But anyway, the you know, they talk about um, complementary football, honestly. So it's like, you know, offense, defense, special teams. And you don't get win games unless all three of those components are working together, understanding that there are different and separate components that have to execute in the moment that they are called upon. And that's what you call complementary football. And that's why I call complementary management as it relates to, you know, product mm. management and the synergy with, you know, marketing. And you've got to understand that. So it's not the same job. And the product management is something that is done up front. 
in order to put marketing in the best possible position to succeed, but understanding that neither of which, you know, could be perfectly executed, you know, in isolation mm -hmm. could fail collectively um, mm -hmm. unless there's some kind of coordination there. So, you know, I think um, there are, if I were to talk about like some of the, the, the things that I think are most critical. So one of the things that we, that I hear a lot in association community, I've heard it from almost day one, um, and that being the challenge with capacity, the challenge with getting rid of things mm -hmm. and understanding an association that's really, really hard. I think part of the solution to that, honestly, is, you know, em embracing more of a product management perspective where, you know, if you think about the product life cycle and those four stages of the product life cycle, uh, you've got innovation on the front end, I'm sorry, you've got introduction on the front end, and you have maturity on the back end, mm -hmm. right? Well, once all the products, a lot of products, once they move into this mature phase, there are certain assumptions that go with each of the four phases, of course. But the mature phase, as things begin to, in essence, kind of roll off the table, you know, your pipeline are the things that you're introducing that hopefully are not repeating, um, but actually are complementing and improving something that's rolling off the table. So it should be this kind of closed cycle, closed system. And that kind of thinking and discipline around the product footprint for the organization from an enterprise-wide standpoint, I think is where part of the answer to the capacity lies. Because, yeah, I think about it as a zero-sum game, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's they're always going to be everybody, no matter if anybody. We all have limited resources. We have choices to make in order to make sure that we maximize the resources that we have. Yeah. And that's an important distinction. So I think that's one aspect. I, mean, I could spin off on a few others if you like, but that's, that's a key one with regard to that mesh point, mm -hmm. understanding the product life cycles and applying that mm -hmm. in a way that says, you know what, I'm taking things off the table and I'm putting things on the table. And yeah. that's a regular part of the work. Yeah, that's, that's so helpful because otherwise it's just like every product exists in perpetuity and, and demands yeah. attention and resources when actually if you can acknowledge that there is this life cycle and different products, you can identify which products belong to which life cycle and therefore what kind of approach they should have and maybe how their marketing should evolve depending on where they, they sit in the life cycle of a product and then kind of manage the offboarding of mature products and the onboarding and rollout of new products. That is a solution to this capacity problem, both on the product and kind of maintenance and production end. Um, and just on a, from a product standpoint, product management, but also on the marketing end, because as a product is, is phased out, that frees up marketing resources as well that are not tied up into maintaining the promotions and the comms around that product, for example. You know, I, that, I, I love that what you just said about it. It's such an excellent point. Here's a, um, a, a, an example in sharp relief, as you said. When you, are, when you have a product that is in that mature phase, there are decreasing returns in scale, right? So in other words, you have to spend more to get less, you know, from a yep. margin standpoint. Okay. Now you can try to, to disprove that. Um, at some point it's going to catch up to you, but you know, it, it, there's some efficiencies around it, but nonetheless, that's kind of a, that's, those are the assumptions that one makes that are proven. Those aren't just assumptions, you know, out of um, practice, they're, they're uh, not theoretical assumptions. Those are practical assumptions around, this is what happens when products are in the mature phase of life cycle. To your mm -hmm. point, when it's up happening and there's nothing more frustrating to a marketing team than being in the situation of trying to push a whole lot of resources into a product that is slowly declining. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's pressure to let's upmarket something over here because we're trying to introduce it and get it to land. 
And the marketing folks will always sit back and say, wait a minute, what are you asking me to do here? You want me to do both and I can't do both well. Allow me to pull something over here and put it into this bucket. That's the point. And that's, that is something that should be stated out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think when it's not stated and spoken to, mm-hmm. then there's just an assumption, do it all. Mm-hmm. And whether it's the product doing it all or the marketing resources doing it all, both of which are the best solutions. Yeah. So I, I, that's, that's critical. That's, that's, that's an amazing point. I'm, I'm appreciating this so much. What, um, what advice would you give to, because obviously there's a symbiotic relationship between product teams and marketing teams, whether they have joint leadership in, in, the, in like your case with ASAE or not, like there's, there's symbiosis no matter what. It's unavoidable, right? The product right. is determining the product strategy and the budgets and the goals and the timelines, et cetera. And then marketing is responsible for the promotion and, and helping to hit those goals and the distribution of that product. What would you recommend um, that marketers kind of, I'm going to use the word demand, but demand is too strong, but like the information that marketers request from their product uh, colleagues such that it sets them up with the best chance to succeed in promoting that product possible. And then on the flip side, what uh, would you suggest to product leaders um, or product team members in terms of information uh, context, whatever, to provide, to make sure to proactively provide to their marketing or comms colleagues such that they have the context and the information, et cetera, that they need to as successfully as possible, as quickly as possible, make those products successful from a marketing standpoint? Yeah, um, great question. I think, you know, so let's come back to the, uh, the concept of complementary football and complementary uh, marketing and uh, product uh, management. So what are the, comp- how do you define complementary? In this context, how you define it, I think, is that if you're on the, if you're looking at from a marketing standpoint, what do I need to know? Well, you know, one of the things that I'm looking for as marketers, I want to understand how you're assessing demand. I want to understand, you know, are these realistic, so, you know, goals that mm-hmm. are being set? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I have to set them. I don't think I should, and I don't really need to if I'm operating from a marketing point of view, but I, as well within my rights to say, by how did you set them? Because mm-hmm. those goals are going to be related to your expectations of what I can get out of marketing. Mm-hmm. And if those goals, and if you think about products, and there are two components to simplify this, you know, that I see one is interest, the other is demand, both of, me, both of which need to be identified. And what is the solution there? What is the out- outcome that you seek? So the interest piece of it, typically, and is perfectly fine, is there's some energy around an idea. There's some energy because, you know, let's say you and I had a conversation and we went and had this conversation, shared this idea with a number of other people. You know what? That's great interest. And then we continue to kind of socialize that idea. So now we've got this, this group mm-hmm. of people, maybe a, a broad group of people that are really excited about this idea. Mm-hmm. But maybe they just like the idea because we're good at selling it. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But mm-hmm. that's the interest piece of it. Mm-hmm. The demand piece of it is, okay, you know, Rob, bye-bye. How did you set demand? How many people do you think are going to buy this product? Right. How many, where are those people? Who are those people? Are they buying something similar that we're already doing? Is there competition out in the marketplace that makes it either you know, harder or less hard or easier for us to put this into the market for it to be successful? From a marketing point of view, those are things that I want to understand because that's going to translate to you know, ultimately what I will control are the campaign metrics. What you will control are the business metrics but they both complement each other. Right. They're not independent. 
Right. So I think it's, you know, if, if there's a way, it's, it's more a function of how to have that conversation. And, you know, so that's one piece of it. If I flip to the other side, you know, what is the product you know, manager looking for from a marketing person? I'd say, okay, look, here's my interest in essence. Here's my demand. Mm. Here are my price points, you know, yeah. and hey, about, what do you think about that? Are you good? Yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty good about this. I think we're kind of covering our bases as best we can. Of course, there's always going to be some uncertainty. But if you're comfortable as a marketing person with how I'm approaching it from a product standpoint, mm-hmm. then you're going to embrace more of the marketing in the first place because you know what? You're not going to be asking questions downstream around whether or not you know the price point is a great product or the price point is too high, mm-hmm. and therefore the margins are you know um, the the bar throws out the margins, whatever that you know however you can yeah. clear out the variables. But that's those are important conversations to have. The marriage of which then puts us in a position to, once we get downstream, we're actually looking at the performance from a market standpoint and not, I think the management, the product management piece was off, or I think that through messaging, we could have been more successful from a marketing perspective or whatever the tactics we're using. I think that's fundamental to having, the, it's the fundamental piece of this is having these conversations in the right way. Yeah. So that it's clear, you know, it's not a, a function of ownership that's obviously baked into it, but it's more a function of, sharing the right kind of information and each of us making sure that we are holding ourselves accountable by asking the questions and that there are answers to those questions. That will accelerate that to our product life cycle. That'll mm-hmm. accelerate us from taking this product from introduction to, you know, growth phase to, mm-hmm. you know, um, to a steady phase and then eventually to maturity. It'll help us make that assessment much more quickly, which then keeps the system moving smoothly. Yeah. When we don't separate those conversations, it gets really complicated and convoluted and it right. just gums it up. That's, that's such, such good advice. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've experienced that on our end. We're obviously not an association. We make software, but it's a very, very similar right. situation where we're making software product decisions or service products that we're considering developing or we're working on. And then the marketing team is getting involved at some point in that process, right? And right. Um, ideally early, because then you can be part of the conversations about like, okay, what's the background behind this product? What's the kind of audience insight or customer insight that led to this product idea? What is some of the early feedback maybe from, you know, people in our audience or existing customers who are helping us to evaluate this is pro- this product? Who's it for? What's it going to compete against when we release it? How do we stack up against those like main categories of competitors? What are unique features and attributes? what's the value that we're communicating around this? What's the price point, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. These are all so, so helpful kind of fundamental uh, understandings to have such that when it comes to the point to communicate and promote and, and market that product, we have a really dialed in understanding about all of these core components. And we're not trying to figure it out on the fly or just release an announcement email or what have you and like hope it goes well. It's like we're, we're doing it from a place of actual shared insight. And so uh, I can even on my end, really, really resonate with what you're saying. I think that's, that's golden, uh, that's golden advice. Well, you know, it's something that we all talk about. It's a function of, it's, it's really making some distinction in the conversation that we're having and being clear about, you know, what we're trying to achieve and how we're going to go about doing it is where the, the, the key really is. And yeah. I think that's something that we all struggle with. And I say we all mean, I know that we struggle with it. So that's part of the reason that we have this role. But um, again, the conversations were there. We're trying to create a little bit more discipline around them. 
um, so that we can accelerate everything, all the decision-making. You know, process accelerates decision-making most often if it's done well. Mm. It doesn't slow it down. Mm. Sometimes there's a perception that process slows things down. Oftentimes that's more function of, I don't want my hands tied mm -hmm. um, through process. I want to do what I want to be able to do. Yeah. Well, there's some truth to that. <laughs> you know, yes, you can do what you want to do, but it's still you're going to have to vet it. Now, the, the process needs to make that, you know, a you know something that can be done relatively quickly, so that yeah. it's not frustrating, but right. it doesn't remove the fact that it still needs to be vetted. Yes, right. That's a great point too, Rob. I had a couple questions um, about yeah. like marketing execution and, and marketing strategy specifically. One is just top of mind. What are some, you know, recent or relatively recent marketing successes that you've been a part of implementing or that you've seen be implemented at ASAE, whether that's new marketing channels or new programs or uh, tactics, just any, any lessons or uh, wins that you've had on the marketing front that the listeners who are, again, you know, primarily association marketers kind of take away and consider for their own marketing? Um, sure, a couple of things. I mean, and certainly with um, all due respect and sincerity, it's all of us. So it's absolutely not just Rob doing any of this clearly. Um, yeah. But, you know, what am I proud about? I'm proud about the team and what they have been able to accomplish. And so there are a couple of things that jumped right to the forefront for me. Uh, one of them is, is that the last two annual meeting campaigns I absolutely loved. And I, I typically love them all. I'm, you know, I come from the creative side anyway, uh, you know, based on my advertising background. But, you know, I'm proud of what we do from an annual meeting concept perspective because I think that's a, it's an interesting product to sell year in and year out. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, what you're doing is you're trying to look forward and, you know, it'd be scary for everybody to understand how early we start thinking about the creative concept um, for annual meeting because it's, it's more than a few months, let's just put it that way. <laughs> but doing that effectively means that we are thinking about culturally what's going to be resonant, you know, 10 mm. or 12 months from now. Mm. And, you know, there's not, those aren't absolutes, it's subjective, right? But it still takes some interpretation um, and try to kind of get a sense of where will people be, where their head's going to be by the mm -hmm. time August rolls around or when we start marketing, typically in March. So, you know, there, the last two campaigns, um, one of which was the, uh, for 20, actually for 2019, it was the uh, Make Your Mark. I'm sorry, Make Your Mark was 2020. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it was virtual. And we had grand plans. It was also our centennial. So we had grand plans for this campaign yeah. uh, when it was going to be face-to-face. -face, and we had to shift, obviously, to virtual. But nonetheless, the Make Your Mark was relevant because it was making your mark for in the context of the centennial. It was also making your mark in the context of the association space that you were serving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it worked really well. Um, so that was one of them. Um, We've also, I'm particularly proud of the fact that we have, you know, kind of tippy-toed into our marketing automation. Uh, mm -hmm. That's one that we are still exploring. Um, and I'm proud of the fact that the team has just kind of embraced that and tried to figure out ways that we could apply it in various aspects of our, you know, um, of our product base, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. to test it. You know, it's complicated. It takes some time. It takes a lot of resources, but I'm proud of their work there. Mm -hmm. The other piece that I'm you know, particularly happy about is the, uh, um, we've been leaning on artificial intelligence um, and not across the environment, certainly. But, you know, again, you know, let's say I take associations now. That's, we did this a couple of years ago, but the information that we're gleaning from that is important because it's allowing us to customize you know, the content experience for the daily newsletter uh, through associations now. So everybody's getting, you know, X number of stories that everyone gets, then there's another percentage that everybody's getting based on their behavior. Mm. The implications of that have been consistently strong. Yeah, from the moment we started, the open rates and the click-through rates popped up and they stayed up. Mm. That was the point. 
So, you know, coming back to what we said earlier about, you know, meeting people in their moment from a content standpoint, that's been a good example of that. It's something I've been particularly proud of. Yeah. The next step will be taking that information and you utilizing that in a way that says, you know, by when you come into our space, I know that you've been, you know, working, you've been, you know, servicing these types of content articles, these types of subject, this type of subject matter. Yeah. Now, can I start, you know, kind of combining that with some other pieces, products and services that we have that make sense for you, that are contextual for you, mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily contextual for everybody. Yeah. So, you know, that's the future state, but I'm, I'm proud of all. I mean, I can go on because I think the team is just <laughs> tremendous and they really are. Um, but yeah, those are a couple of things that pop into my head. That's so cool. I love that the examples you gave are like run the spectrum from like creative executions to technology implementation. And, and sometimes it's easy to swing too hard in either direction where marketing is all about data and technology or no marketing is all about the art and the creative touch. And right. I love that the examples that you gave are examples of both because both are important. Um, and it's, I, yeah, you, you showed that in, in your response. So that's great. Um, Rob, I've loved this last couple questions for you, if you don't mind, just kind of quick fire questions before we get you out of here. Um, we always ask at this stage in your career, if you could go back in time and tell, you know, younger Rob, who's just getting started either in your career holistically or getting started at ASAE and in the association space, what advice would you give yourself? Hmm. You know, what, what occurs to me is that I, sometimes I wish I'd maybe had been a little less patient, <laughs> um, you know, honestly. So the, for those that know me well, I, I'm, I'm very impatient, you know, underneath the surface, but that's not how I present, <laughs> truthfully. And, you know, so it's kind of like this, intellectual um, impatience, I'm always churning things, but that's not, so sometimes it's like how I talk about things, but you know, more importantly, it's like, I wanna push things forward. And so I'm not sure that I would say, it's really, it's really both. It's actually, there are moments where I wish I'd been less impatient. There are other moments that I probably should have been more patient. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the future, you know, looking back, I would say, assess the environment. Mm -hmm. You know, make sure that, you know, there's, there's, you can have the best ideas in the world, but, and I don't, I have some good ideas like everybody does and some people are really spectacular at it. That's fantastic. But the point of it is, is that right time, right place. Mm. And it's always, I think it's important to understand that context and that doesn't, you know, remove any frustration in the moment when something doesn't, you know, move forward. But it does say, here's helps explain why that might be occurring. Even if you don't agree with it, here's mm -hmm. why it's occurring. And then it gives you an opportunity to adjust that message you know, moving forward and bring that idea back to the, you know, back to the forefront. So the thing I'd like to always, that I always think about is, you know, I need to say it in a way that, you know, a buy needs to hear it, which is different than how I might want to say it in the moment. Right. And yeah. I'll shift that. So that's, that's just something that's, you know, kind of embraced over the years. Um, yeah. Knowing, knowing when to, to push harder, so to speak, and knowing when to give like room to breathe. Yeah. That's, it takes yeah. act and, and experience to kind of, to assess that. Cool. And if you could, if you had a magic wand and you could solve any problem for yourself professionally, yeah. that's yeah. not unlimited budget. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. What, what comes to mind? Um, you know, what comes to mind honestly is that um, I had these themes in my head and because they, they actually do think about it this way, but what comes to mind simply is, is that the, the separation of roles and the definition of roles, so that we're not all trying to do the same thing in different ways, but rather we are relying on folks to do the things that they have deep expertise in 
And then we're pulling up the things, the outcomes of that. And then we're having conversations about the outcomes and how we're going to adjust them as opposed to conversations about how we're doing something. Mm -hmm. So it requires a lot of trust. It requires, you know, not only, you know, effective collaboration, which, you know, collaboration is not, you know, us sitting at down and table having a conversation about something or a group of us. Collaboration, effective collaboration is all of us creating space for someone else's ideas. Mm-hmm. And all of us being willing to say, you know, sometimes publicly in that setting, you know what, make it better. And that's mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. because we're all focused on the outcome. So, you know, that magic wand is a process wand. It's mm-hmm. a wand around, you know, let's, let's have some, I like the Socratic method, you know, of processing to a point. And then at some point, you have to move that forward, because it can just end up in endless questions. So there are a couple of different methodologies that, that pop into my head that I appreciate. And those are some of the magic wands because, you know, what's most important, I think, is the problem solving. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem identification is fairly easy. The problem solving and the way you go about doing that is where it takes some discipline. Mm-hmm. So that's the magic wand. Let's make sure that we're focused on solving the problem by identifying what it is, mm-hmm. which is different than my frustration with it or how I want to do something different. Because I can come up with how to do something different forever <laughs> yes. so you know that's that um that was kind of rambling a bit i'm sorry but that was, no, no. That was in my head yeah i hear what you're saying i think it, it's um if i could just like attempt to reflect what i'm hearing from you it's that kind of the i don't know collective like understanding of the emphasis on uh focusing on outcomes which are solutions to problems and um some more of like an inherent understanding of a process that we can follow collectively as teams to go about exploring uh, the problem itself, but more important, the solutions to those problems and doing that in a way in which everybody's and every team's unique expertise is kind of properly um, voiced and given space for and appreciated by the collective group. And then action is created, like decisions are made uh, in terms of the next set of, of solutions to attempt to implement. You know, no, that's exactly right. And it's funny because that's something that I was exposed to very on early in my career um, at the ad agency, in the creative process, which is inherently subjective, but absolutely had a very strong and distinct process about how we would come up with creative to engage, you know, millions upon millions of people. Yeah. And that was the, you know, there are elements of that process that reside with me to this day as a conference because yeah. I've seen that work over and over. Um, yeah. Wow. Rob, it's been really, really enjoyable. I was already anticipating an enjoyable conversation with you, but this has uh, blown my expectations out of the water. There was, I was finding myself wanting to ask further questions and dig deeper on so many different points that, that you've brought up um, that even just scratching the surface was so helpful, but that I have at least personal curiosity about. And I think that our listeners would also appreciate. Maybe we have to do that on a, a round two at some point in the future though, because I know we got to get you out of here, but thank you so, so much for the, for the time today. I, I love this and uh, I can't wait to get this out to all the listeners. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure to be here and it's a great conversation. I love this back and forth. So I um, just a, an opportunity to be as helpful as possible. And I've learned a lot just from listening to you as well. So thank you for that as well. And um, we're all going to get better. So that's awesome. the whole point. Thank you so much again. It's been wonderful. Thank you.